morning. If you find your seats and turn to Psalm 88. And as you're turning, let me just uh, want to explain why we're not in Exodus this uh, morning. Next week, we'll uh, jump uh, right in where we left off because normally we go verse by verse. Um, if you're new, verse by verse through a book of scripture, it makes it very easy for me to pick what sermon to preach or what passage to preach on the next week because it's just the next chapter, next verse in the book that we're in. Uh, but every now and then I feel like God puts on my heart uh, a sermon to preach or a passage to preach on. Um, and, and I felt that this week just because the last few months, um, I'm sure many of you are aware maybe of just individuals within the church, but as a pastor, I get to see and kind of see um, all the different things that are going on within uh, lives, the lives of families within our congregation. And with Within the last few months, there's been a lot of hard things that um, have been going on within families, within our church. And uh, so I, I felt like God put on my heart uh, to preach this sermon this morning, um, to encourage our, our congregation, um, uh, and to really encourage those that are struggling, um, those that are suffering, uh, those that are in pain um, through the holiday season and uh, as this new year starts. And, and again, there's a number of them. And... Um, you're going to have to stick with me for a while as I read this psalm because you're going to see that. Uh, how is this encouraging? We'll wait till we get to the end of the, the sermon this morning, and um, I hope you're encouraged. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word, Psalm 88. Starting in verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the region of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness or 
But the New Living Translation says the darkness is my closest friend. Let's pray. Dear God, Lord, Father, Lord, we pray this morning, Lord, for those that are wrestling with dark times, that are in pain, that are suffering, Lord, those that may have lost someone recently and and gone through the holidays and felt the grief, Lord, of that loss, those people whose marriages are struggling right now, Lord, and they feel trapped, Lord, I, I pray for those who have found out that they have some serious serious illness, Lord. God, I pray for all those in our church, Lord, that are struggling, that you would encourage them, Lord, that that you would show them, Lord, that you know what they're going through, and that even though sometimes it feels like you are distant, you are right there, God. God, I pray that that is heard this morning as we go through this, this psalm, Lord, this personal psalm, this prayer. God, be with us in your son's name. Now, I know what um, some of you are probably thinking right now. I thought you said you were going to encourage us this morning. Um, How is this psalm encouraging? Well, I really do believe this is an encouraging psalm for those that are truly in a dark place. And a lot of you may not be in a dark place right now. But let me just ask a question, and, and I want you to answer this, not by raising your hand, but just within your heart. As I read through this psalm, did it resonate with you at all? Maybe not the whole thing. Maybe you've never felt the pain and sorrow and darkness that we see in this, this psalm, this prayer that was written. But did parts of it, as I was going through the psalm, resonate with you? It's a, it's a very interesting psalm. It has puzzled many because there's no resolution. There's no salvation. There's no redemption. It really begins and ends with pain and darkness. Many psalms are are full of despair and struggles, and because we live in the United States and in Western civilization and modern times, a lot of the psalms don't really resonate with us as we go through them because we haven't dealt with struggles and suffering um, as a lot of the people that have written the psalms have. But there are many that have struggled. Many of the psalms are full of despair and struggle, but usually there's a resolution redemption within the psalm but not psalm 88 there's only darkness it ends with my companions have become darkness that's the esv but as i said the new living translation puts darkness is my closest friend have you ever been here have you ever been in this kind of despair and darkness or close to it one theologian put it this way psalm 88 stands as a mark of realism biblical faith. It's not a shallow faith. It has a pastoral use because there are situations in which easy, cheap talk of um, resolution must be avoided. Another theologian said this, many psalms and prayers in the Bible, such as Psalm 7 or 77, begin uh, with lament or complaint and end with hope and victory. 
Psalm 88 has no glorious ending and is sometimes referred to as the saddest psalm in the book of Psalms. It begins and ends in seemingly hopelessness. Which leads to a question, and it's a question I want to try to answer this morning, and in answering this question, I hope it brings some encouragement. I hope uh, if there's someone that, that, like I said, the psalm resonates to you, I hope by the end of this sermon you'll be encouraged. The question is this, why is this psalm in Scripture? Why is it in the Bible? And that's the question I want to answer today. Um, The author of this psalm, his name is Heman. Uh, He's a contemporary of King David. He was a songwriter and a prophet. Uh, He was the grandson of Samuel. Um, The psalm is a prayer. That was pretty obvious as I read through it. It's a personal prayer from from Heman's heart. The outline, which I think is somewhat important, there's uh, different opinions on this, but the outline I've come up with goes something like this. It goes A, B, C, A, B. Meaning there's five parts to the psalm, and we'll walk through them. A, a cry to God for help. B, living in the shadow of dark or death. C, right in the middle, acknowledgement of God's hand in the struggle. And then A, B, A, a cry to God for help, be living in the shadow of darkness. So let's walk through these five parts, and then I want to talk about what we can learn and, and what, why, and answer this question, why the psalm is in Scripture. So let's start with the first part, a, a cry to God for help. Look at verse 1 again. Psalm 88, verse 1 says this, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Now, for how hopeless and dark this psalm is, it really starts in the, the very first line with faith. It starts with, O oh Lord, that's capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh, the covenant name of, of God and his people Israel. This, this is a man crying out to Yahweh, God of my salvation. This is Heman's foundational, fundamental belief about God. This is his theology. This is, this is his greatest belief about God. He knows God is a God who saves. Therefore, it's almost like this one truth is the last thing he's, he's holding on to, the only thing that's keeping him going. He knows that God is a God of salvation. Therefore, in his anguish and his tribulation and his suffering he cries out verse one day and night before yahweh he says in verse two let my prayer come before you incline your ear to my cry now the word cry in hebrew is the same word that's often translated shout meaning he's shouting his prayer to the lord it's usually used for shouts of joy like psalm 47 verse one shout to god with loud songs of joy But in this case, in Psalm 88, it's not shouts of joy. It's a cry of pain and sorrow. So what's going on? And it's the question that that jumps out in your mind. Why why is this man crying out like this? Why is he praying like this? What is he struggling with? What would inspire someone to write a prayer like this? This brings us to the second part of the psalm, living in the shadow of death. Living in the shadow of death. Look at verse 3. It says this. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol, which is the grave. I am counted among those 
who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lay in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. We don't know exactly what's going on, but it's pretty obvious that that humans facing death of some sort. Uh, verse 3 again, my life draws near to Sheol, the grave. Verse 4, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. Verse 5, I'm like one set loose among the dead, the slain, like the slain that I lie in the grave. He, he's facing death. Most theologians believe that humans probably have some kind of serious terminal illness, uh, some kind of physical disability that he's been struggling with. Right? This disability is obvious to him and everyone else that it's going to lead to death and probably death soon. Look at verse 4. He says this, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, maybe no physical strength. In other words, this is probably a man physically suffering. Death is approaching fast. Now, it's not uncommon for Psalms to talk about death. In fact, think of the probably most famous Psalm within the Psalter, the, the uh, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But this Psalm is a little different. First of all, it's very individualistic. This, this man's not crying out for, for a people. He's not crying out for Israel. He's not crying out for the king, or he's not the king of a people that's crying out for his own salvation. Instead, this is a man that, that most of us probably never heard before until this morning crying out because he's in despair. He's personally suffering. It's a very personal psalm. But what's most unusual about it is, is that there's, there's no enemy causing this oppression. This is the only lament psalm that, that does not include a complaint against one's enemy somewhere within the psalm. Like there's no enemy mentioned whatsoever within this psalm leads to a question, and it's an important question. Who's the blame? Who's the blame for this suffering? Well, this leads to the third part of the psalm, which is right in the middle of the psalm, and that's the acknowledgement of God's hand in this trouble. Again, remember, that this is the center. It goes A, B, C. This is the center, A, B. Look at verse 6. It says this, you. Remember, he's crying out to Yahweh. You, you, God, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. If your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a, a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim sorrow. Now there's two phrases that should have just jumped out at you in these few verses. Verse 6 says, you, you have put me in. And then verse 8, it says, you have caused. Heman is blaming God for the suffering that he's in. This is an accusation. God, you have caused this suffering. Now, I want you to take a second and think about that. Can you believe this is in the Bible? Can you believe God inspired a man to write this and then said, this will be in my word? 
is so important? It's important because of this. God doesn't sidestep the reality of evil, suffering, and pain. He doesn't sidestep it. In this psalm, he's, he's heading, hitting it just head on. In fact, this psalm gets right to the heart of the problem of evil. This is one of the toughest questions ever asked by believers and unbelievers alike. If God is all-powerful, which the Bible is, is extremely clear about that, he's in control of everything to the smallest details of our life. If God is all-powerful and if God is good, meaning he loves us, then why would he allow so much evil and suffering to exist? Heman knows his theology. The Bible is clear on three things. God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. God is good, right? Perfectly good. He's a God of salvation. Yet, there is evil. And in Heman's heart, he's struggling with this. He's struggling. Why would God allow this? He thinks maybe, maybe God's punishing him. Look at verse 7. It says, your wrath, wrath is something that's poured out on sinners, right? God's just wrath, right? Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with, with all your waves. Yet, we read this psalm and there's no hint of sin whatsoever. It's not like David in Psalm 32, day and night your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. We know David's sin. The suffering David went through after his sin was a consequence of his sin. He was forgiven, but there were still consequences that came from that sin, earthly consequences. But for Heman, it sounds like there's no particular sin causing this suffering, and he doesn't understand why. It's the same exact struggle we see Job go through in the book of Job. It's the same struggle I'm guessing Joseph went through when he was sold not only into slavery, but then thrown into prison for doing what was right. It's the same struggle I'm guessing Daniel had when he was thrown in the lion's den. It's the same struggle I'm guessing Paul had over and over and over again every single time he found himself suffering for the cause of Christ. It would make more sense, I, I think, to, to Heman. It would make more sense if there was a particular sin like David. There isn't. And not only that, his pain feels unending. Look at the, the end of verse 7. He says, you overwhelm me with all your waves. It, it, it's like he's drowning in the middle of the sea, and wave after wave after wave is crushing into him. And there's nothing he can do. So what does he do? This brings us to the next point. We cry to God for help. Look at the second part of verse 9. He says this, Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Or, or what, what we would say today, I, I fall to my knees before you every day in prayer. One commentator put it this way. In his grief, the psalmist continually cries out to the Lord. True faith, true faith is not an apathetic acceptance of whatever comes to pass. True faith lies in wrestling with the Lord in prayer. Psalm 88 is a man wrestling with the Lord in prayer. 
Haman's not sinless. There's no particular sin that we see that's causing the suffering that he's in. But he is a sinner. He's not sinless. And we see that throughout this psalm. There's places in here where I'm guessing he's in sin and and how he's approaching God in his prayer even. But the one thing he definitely does right is that he continues to pray over and over and over again. Day and night, day and night. He has faith that God is sovereign. Therefore, he goes to God. He has faith that God is good. Remember verse 1, he calls him God of my salvation. Therefore, he cries out to him over and over again. And he has some, some real questions, right? Questions that are, that are honest and even raw. Again, this reminds me of Job and the questions that he had for God. Look at verse 10. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? In other words, if I'm, if I'm dead, how am I going to glorify you? How are you glorified in this? I want to stop right now because it's getting depressing in here. And I want to say this. Let me just stop and give some hope. What's the answer to verse 10? Do you work wonders for the dead? How about this one? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Yes, they do. They do. There's hope. Verse 11. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon, the the place of the departed? How can, can I declare your love if I'm dead or in the grave? Verse 12. Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Again, honest, raw questions coming from a heart of someone who is truly hurting. Now, I believe there's even a hint of sarcasm and frustration, maybe even anger, meaning he probably prayed this in in sin. But once again, I believe he is a faithful man because he doesn't stop going to God. He doesn't stop praying to God. Look at verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. There's still faith there. Day and night he's praying. Day and night he's crying out to the Lord. You know, kind of ironically, who this actually reminds me of? Of all people in Scripture, the first thing that jumped to my mind when I was in this portion of the, the psalm was Peter. And for all the bonehead things Peter did and we make fun of him all the time he actually did some some amazing faithful things when all the followers of Jesus were leaving him because Jesus was teaching hard things he turned to the twelve and he asked them do you want to go as well are you going to leave because of these teachings that are hard and Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life In other words, where else am I going to go? Just like Peter, I feel like Haman knows that there's just nowhere else to go. Verse 13, I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? In other words, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? 
Now again, don't raise your hand. But have you ever asked that question in despair before? God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Which brings us to the last part of this psalm. Living life in the shadow of death, verse 15, says this, Afflicted and close to death, from my youth up I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath have swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. Verse 18. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Now, what's interesting is beloved and friend, those are both singular. So it could be translated, you have caused my lover and friend to shun me. Most likely his wife. Again, she reminds me of Job. Meaning he's alone, therefore darkness, New Living Translation, darkness is my closest friend. Now, the New Living Translation, I, I believe, just kind of gets the meaning across pretty, pretty well there. But the ESV is closer to the Hebrew, which is this. My companions have become darkness, and that means darkness. The word darkness is the very last word of this psalm. And then it ends. No resolution, no salvation, no redemption, just pain, loneliness, and darkness. So here's my question again. The question I started with, the question that I believe many, many, many have asked over the years, why would God inspire man to write a psalm like why, in other words, why is this in the Bible? That's the question I want to answer. Let me start by saying this. I think there's a few things that we can learn from this psalm. Okay? Let me give you three. There's probably more than three, but just three things that we can learn from this psalm. First one is this. We can learn that true strength comes from God. True strength comes from God. When everything is stripped away, your physical health, your job, your reputation, your friend, your family, your spouse. And at the point where there's only one place you can go, and that's God. That's why Heman, even, even with all the questions that was plaguing his heart, he cries out to God over and over again. Verse 1, O God, Lord, or O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Verse, verse 13, I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayers come before you. He continues to pray from his youth up every morning, day and night, on his knees, crying out to God. And just like Job, there was just nowhere else to go. Therefore, I believe Psalm 88 teaches us that true strength comes from God. Everything else in life can be stripped away. Which leads to a, a second truth that I believe we can learn from Psalm 88, it teaches us that suffering can produce a deeper intimacy with God. Suffering can produce a deeper intimacy with God. When we are in this kind of darkness, the darkness that we see in Psalm 88, there is no comfort in the world that can numb that pain. There is no toy, no entertainment, no 
trip or vacation, no sporting event, no promotion at work that will numb that pain. Right? Personally, just as a confession, Paul feels this trap a lot. Often when the stresses of life kind of come or, or the um, anxieties of life, I, I can try to ignore it by getting excited about a toy, a new phone, right? the vacation that's coming. And those things can, can numb that stress for a little while. But when suffering gets to the level of Psalm 88, there's no new phone that's going to, to numb that stress, numb that pain. There's no toy, no vacation big enough to numb that pain. The reality is constantly there and you can't escape it. You're left only with prayer, faith, and trust. The trivial things of life are stripped away at that point and we're left with our deepest and most fundamental hope, which is God. That he's there and that he will right the wrongs of this world, that there will be joy on the other end of this trial somehow. That type of trust produces intimacy with God because it drives us to God. And I just was thinking about this this morning as I preached at first service. That's why Job had an intimacy with God. Joseph, Daniel, Paul, these men had intimacy with God because of the suffering that drove them straight to God. Third thing that we can learn from this psalm is that our trust and faith and hope comes from the character of God, who God is, not what he gives us. Not in the earthly blessings that, that have been given to us by God, but in him alone. You know, what, what's scary about this psalm, and why most people, I think, avoid it, and I don't know how many preachers have ever preached on this psalm, is that there's no redemption. There's no salvation in, in this psalm when you just read through it, right? And that's scary, but you know what amazes me about this psalm as I've studied it? Look at the verse just before this psalm starts. That's Psalm 87, verse 7. Look what it says. It says this, Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. You know what that is? That's joy. It's a celebration of a, a joy-filled future, right? Dancing and singing even to the Lord. You know what, what it says, the verse right after this psalm? Psalm 88, so turn to Psalm 89, verse 1. It says this. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. There's joy on both sides of this suffering. Listen, God is good. He's good. We may not have an answer to, to what we're going through, but we know that God is good. His character, who he is, he is good. That he's in control. Our lives are never out of control. They may be out of our control, but they're never out of God's control. And he's wise. Therefore, we can trust him in the suffering. So, 
One of the reasons I believe the psalm is here is that we can learn from it. We can learn things that can help us suffer well when we find ourselves in, in a darkness that may be close to the darkness that Haman found himself in the psalm. But listen, I don't think that's the main reason for this psalm. And this may surprise you, but I think, I think God put this psalm in the Bible to encourage us. To encourage us. I believe God inspired a man to write this because he knew that there would be times that his people, the people whom he loves, would feel the same exact way. Therefore, this psalm lets us know that we're not alone. That if you feel this way, if you find yourself in this darkness, it's not a surprise to God. I mean, think about this. Have you ever felt lonely or alienated? Look at verse 8. You have made me a horror to my, my companions. Listen, you're not alone. Have you ever felt rejected? Verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. You're not alone. Have you ever felt powerless, like you can't do anything about the situation that you're in? Look at verse 4. I'm a man who has no strength. You're not alone. I believe God inspired this psalm, put it in the Bible to encourage us let you know that you are not alone in your suffering. You know, that's encouraging. In fact, I, I've told this story before, but um, I think it's appropriate to, to say again, this is not my notes. Uh, when I first started working here as an intern, a part-time intern, uh, over 10 years ago, I remember there was a day I was in the office and all the pastors were, were out. And so I'd just started seminary. And uh, there was a phone call of a lady, phone number blocked. Um, and she calls and said to the secretary, I need to talk to the pastor. And I was left, so transfer me over. Um, she was on the verge of committing suicide. It was her last-ditch effort, this call to run the church. So I'm on the phone. just taken a biblical counseling class and the biblical counselor the uh, professor teaching it talks about people when they're in their darkest moments to just pull this psalm, Psalm 80 out and read it to them so I took it and read it to her and asked her, is this what you're feeling? she said, that's exactly what I'm feeling and that's what God knows he understands he put this in, in here because he knew encouraging. It's encouraging that God knows our pain. He doesn't sidestep it. He doesn't act like it's trivial. He doesn't act like it's not important. In fact, he inspired a man to write a whole psalm like this, and he put it in the Bible. But listen, God inspired a man to, to write about his suffering so that you know that you're not alone. But, but here's the amazing thing about this psalm, because it goes even further than just healing this psalm also points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. 
You know how I know that? Because Jesus told us that the Psalms point to him. Listen to what he said in Luke 24, verse 44. He said to them, his disciples, he said, These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law right, of Moses, that's the, the Pentateuch, that's Exodus, and we've seen as we've gone through Exodus, almost everything points to Christ. And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The Psalms, in other words, are, 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 are telling us about Jesus. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, where? In the Old Testament, in the Psalms, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. It's written in the Old Testament, in other words, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day, raised from the dead, and that repentance for uh, the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In other words, Christ himself claims that the Psalms point forward to him and his suffering. And through that suffering, the salvation that's offered to man. So with that in mind, let's just walk through Psalms 88 one more time. Look at verse 2. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. This is a man crying out to God. Heman is crying out to God just like Jesus in Gethsemane, crying out to God the Father. Heman, a man who knows death is coming very soon. Jesus, a man that knows death is coming very soon. Look at verse 3. For my soul, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol, or the grave, or death. Mark quotes Jesus saying, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. It's almost word for word, verse 3. Look at verse 4. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Jesus in Gethsemane had no strength. He was so weak that God sent angels. He appointed an angel from heaven to strengthen him. The scripture says. In fact, he was in so much agony that Luke says he, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Look at verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Jesus on the cross literally faced God's wrath, waves of God's wrath, which caused sorrow, agony, and pain, a sinless man being crucified. Look at verse 8. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a, a horror to them. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends, Judas. And his other friends shunned him. He became a horror to them. Peter emphatically denied Jesus three times. Look at verse 14. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Jesus cries out in Luke, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And in Mark, Jesus cries out, Abba, which is Daddy, right? Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. 
On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God literally hid his face from Jesus on the cross. Look at verse 15. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up. Some of you may have had a terminal illness from his youth up. I suffered your terrors. I am helpless. Think of Jesus from birth. Jesus' life was threatened from King Herod. At the start of his ministry, he went 40 days in the wilderness without food, meaning he was almost dead as the devil attacked him. In the middle of his ministry, the religious leaders wanted him dead. The Jews plotted to kill him. In John 8, they tried to stone him. At the end of his ministry, the, the Romans finally crucified him. Look at verse 16. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They, they surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness, or the New Living Translation, darkness is my closest friend. Jesus in the garden the night before his death cried out to God alone. You know, it's amazing, just like Psalm 88, through it all, he trusted in God. Verse 1, O Lord, God of my salvation. Jesus, just like Heman, continued to pray to God. In fact, Luke 22, verse 44 says that Jesus, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. He trusted in God. He trusted that, that there would be joy on the other side of the suffering that he was in. Right? Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, meaning he, he endured the suffering. He trusted his God. He trusted his Father. He said, there's joy on the other side of the suffering. You know what's crazy about Psalm 88? That's pointing straight forward to Jesus and Jesus' suffering. Earlier, I introduced the, the problem of evil. If God's all-powerful and is good, why does evil exist? I didn't give a, an apologetic answer. I have one, uh, an answer from reason, and arguing why there's evil, even though God is both good and all-powerful. There is an argument. In fact, there's a great argument for it apologetically. But I have learned as a pastor, that doesn't always help, especially in times of deep darkness. And you know what should? Our God, by his own free will, out of his love for you, entered into our suffering with us. That's an amazing we celebrated last week, isn't it? Jesus, the God of the universe, we saw that very clearly. Born in a manger. That's just amazing. The Word, the creator of everything, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
I started this sermon with a question. Does this psalm resonate with you? Does this psalm resonate with you? Listen, you're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, Jesus understands completely what you're going through. Not only that, he cares so much and loves you so much that on the cross, he faced the greatest suffering of all, God's wrath, so that you wouldn't have to. That's how good our God is. That's why we should continue to go to him, even if we don't understand and trust him. But there is joy on the other side of the suffering. We may not know how, but we trust he knows. There will be joy on the other side of the suffering. If you're going through a hard time this morning, know this. Jesus understands. He cares. Let me read uh, two verses or three verses that I've been reading often as we've been going through the book of Exodus. But after the sermon today, I think you'd be seen in, in a different light. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. sermon this morning, Lord. The reality of pain and suffering evil, Lord, is a heavy reality, and and it's a reality. I thank you that you don't shy away from that reality in your word, Lord. I thank you that you have inspired a man to write this prayer out so that that we know that we're not alone, and not only that, that we, we know that you understand what we're going through, and we can go to you can sympathize with our weakness. That's amazing. God, I pray for those within our congregation, Lord, many of them not here today, Lord. I pray for those that are that are truly finding themselves in a dark place right now in suffering, Lord, in pain and sorrow. God, I pray that you would encourage them, Lord. I thank you for those in our congregation that go through it with a joy knowing that there is joy on the other end of pain and sorrow, Lord. I pray for, for those with physical disabilities right now, illnesses, Lord, for, for marriages that are struggling, Lord, for, for kids rebelling, whatever is causing this deep darkness, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. 